0: Welcome
1: to Stuck in the Cry Room.
0: We all know the cry room too well at church, the place we
1: don't want to go, but feel we have to because of our situation.
0: As Catholic families, many parts of our life can feel like a virtual cry room. We're stuck and don't know how to get out.
1: Host Joe Holt and John Cox will discuss these current challenges affecting today's families
0: and provide practical solutions so you are no longer stuck in the cry room. Welcome to Stuck in the Cry Room. I am Joe Holt, and I'm joined with my co-host John Cox. Hello. And today we have a special guest. It's our pastor. It's Monsignor Tom Fryer.
2: Hello there, everybody.
0: Hello, Monsignor. I'm so happy that you're here to uh, join us. I know you've uh, had great fun of listening to our podcast and making fun of us in the hallway. So now,
2: <laughs> I laugh uncontrollably.
0: It used to be behind our back, but now it's in front of us.
2: It's much more fun that way. <laughs>
0: So, John, you want to begin with a prayer for us?
1: Sure, let's go ahead and begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for all your gifts. We thank you for your love and for your mercy. Uh, We ask that you illuminate our minds and our hearts to come to know you and come to love you. We ask that you bless this conversation. And we come to a deeper understanding and recognition of the beauty of the priesthood and the sacrifices uh, these priests make especially during these times, uh, we ask to continue to strengthen them, to give them the strength of perseverance and hope and joy, and to continue to find joy in uh, giving the sacraments to um, your people, Lord. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
0: So Off the air, we were just sharing with Monsignor that we want to start something new with all of our guests, and that is that we want to do a fast five, a fast five questions just to allow all of you to get to know them a little bit better, and we might learn something new as well. Um, and then um, after we get through that, then we can get into a little bit more conversation. So, John, do you want to?
1: Sure. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Lead
0: Monsignor. I'll,
1: I'll. <laughs> so then, they have a timeline to answer these questions.
0: Well, he just has to answer it fast. Like, fast. Okay. we I'm going to start doing like a, a Jeopardy sound if he's going too long, <laughs> okay. or like TikTok, or. <laughs> All,
1: right. All right. So, well, we do have to ask the first question. So, one of the things we've been talking about is which one of the Poo characters we are. So. Once you the first question is, which which Winnie the Pooh character would you consider yourself to be?
2: Okay, let's get analytical about this. (laughs) You've seen the second Jumanji film.
0: Yes, we went to the theater together. And
2: you know that there's one character that, even though you'd like him to answer something fast, it takes him forever. To get out what he's trying to say. Our next question. Is... <laughs> I rest my case. No, I I was sharing with uh, John and Joe that you know I've been a fan of Winnie since actually since college. I never came across him when I was in grade school, and a family that I was very close to found that out. They bought me my first book. They defined me like you, John. They said you're Eeyore. Really. Yeah. really? And as I read the no. book and I hear Eeyore's comments, I'm thinking, oh, that is wonderful.
0: So <laughs> we get along so well. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't think that you're Eeyore.
2: i probably changed. I mean, that's been a few decades.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. All right, number two. Okay,
2: uh, next
1: question. What makes you laugh the most? Besides I think, your staff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and laugh and cry. You know how that yeah. works? No, I, I think it's, it's good people being around good people and just talking and you know my my sisters will quite often say breathe tom breathe cuz I'll get to laughing so hard I, I won't even be able to take a breath okay uh,
1: let's see here well you you travel the world so what would you be what would be your favorite place in the world
2: my favorite place in the world is going back to the place of jesus the holy land yes i don't think anybody if they have the opportunity should pass up the ability to go To walk in the places where Jesus lived, taught, worked his miracles, but most especially suffered and died and rose again.
1: Amen. And let's see here. What was your first job?
2: It's a fun, (laughs) long story on this. I was 16 years old, and I came home one day. It was in the springtime. And I walked in the house. Nobody was there, but the newspaper was sitting on the dining room table. And I I looked at it, and it was open to the want ads. And it had one of them circled. And I was looking at it and reading it, and it said, um, 16-year-old wants lawn jobs. Call such and such a number. Well, that number was our our home number. And I was the only 16-year-old in the house. So I found out I wanted lawn jobs. My folks had placed the ad, and it worked very, very well. I had all sorts of jobs. I did a whole nursing home facility, many acres. I did a lot of individual lawns. It really backfired on my folks though, because I was 16. I couldn't drive. They were taking me all over in the car with the lawnmower in the trunk as we'd go to do these various jobs. That was my first job.
0: I'm sorry. You will notice that that, um, let's see. Oh, I was going to say that we um, have hit five questions, but the first one didn't count, so we have one more. Oh,
1: okay, so we'll do the last one here?
2: Yeah. All right, uh, so
1: what song reminds you
2: most of your life? I'm not big on musicals, but there is one movie that I've always loved for its songs, especially the one that I'm going to mention to you. And that movie is based on a, a, a play that was on Broadway, I think, Paint Your Wagon. The song is, I was born under a wandering star. Mm. And I look at my life and the various places I've lived, the people I've encountered. I have probably been in more rectories than any three priests that I know because I've gotten moved in different assignments by the different bishops for a variety of purposes. But I think that song very much exemplifies me. I was born under a wandering star.
0: I love that. You know, for those people who don't know, you were assigned here to St. Thomas More for six years, and then just recently, Archbishop extended that for another six.
2: As of this July, I will be on my second assignment for another six years. Yeah,
0: so that's wonderful. And I remember, um, you know, because I was here before, and, and John came after the fact, but I remember how nervous we all were as a staff for your arrival because there wasn't, we didn't know much about you. We knew you had some very big positions. Obviously at the chancellor, you had a lot of hats that you were wearing all the time. And um, I have a funny story. I think I might've shared this with John. And um, if Whitney is listening to the podcast, she's going to laugh right now because I remember when you first arrived, she had a meeting with you in your office. And then she came into my office and she said, Joe, whatever you do, just turn the attention back towards Monsignor. And I said, well, what do you mean? (laughs) She said, he has this like way about him that when you sit in front of him, he's such a good listener that he will just listen and he likes silence and I don't like silence. So I keep filling it with a bunch of stuff. By the time I finished the meeting, I had told him everything about me that I didn't want him to know. And so I made it like a mission for myself, like the next month that I was going to try not to like have a conversation with you, because I was afraid like, gosh, if he knew everything about me, he would fire me. (laughs) And so but shortly after that, you asked me to drive you down to Denver to pick up your car. And I was so nervous to do that because I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to be in the car together. It's just the two of us. So I remember driving and in my head, I kept saying, okay, just turn, the, turn questions towards him. Ask him questions, ask him questions. So I'm driving, but it didn't, it didn't work because <laughs> she was right there was silence. And then, and then you just start asking me things. And when you got out of the car, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that <laughs> I said, so you're a really good listener. And I don't know if parishioners really know that about you, but um, I I just, I find that enjoyable. And, and through the years, you know, we've gotten to be friends and, um, and I, I think I know a lot about you and you probably know a lot about me, but I've enjoyed those. That's for another podcast.
1: (laughs) So uh, the blackmail check will be in the mail soon. Uh, That
2: explains why none of the staff wants to come in and talk with me.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the new ones don't know that. I never told John that, you know, so I just let him experience it because by that time I already knew you. But a lot of us did know that in the beginning, like, watch out. He's a good listener. You you were just empty out your soul in front of him. Just don't go.
2: I had to clean off my office so many times.
0: (laughs) Oh, so do you want to share your vocation story with us?
2: I'd be happy to. I am the only priest in my family for any generation that I can think of. There's no other religious deacons or anything like that. Mm. So I'm an anomaly. I was born in Nebraska. I'm always proud to, to mention that. Go Big Red. I lived there for 11 years, started Catholic school. We moved to Iowa. I lived there for 11 years. I went through the rest of Catholic grade school in Ames, then high school and college in Ames, Iowa, all that while, through Catholic grade school, through high school, through college, I was very, very involved with the faith. I would be in youth groups. I would be in the Newman Center at the college. I was involved in going on a lot of retreats. My faith was just very central to my life. And it was when I was in college, and because of connections I had at the Newman Center, after my junior year, I was actually... Out with five other people, we came to Colorado for a camping trip in June, right after we finished our our junior year of college. And all of us were at the same place. We were getting ready for our final year. One night, we're sitting around the campfire. We were the only ones in the campground. Being in Iowa, you didn't realize they still had snow on the campgrounds. (laughs) So we had the campground all to ourselves. but we had a big roaring fire, and the conversations changed night by night. One night, the conversation was facing reality. All of us were going to graduate in a year. So the question everybody had, not the five questions, but (laughs) the one question is, what are you going to do when you graduate? Now, keep in mind, I was with a bunch of guys and gals, a very romantic kind of setting in the mountains, camping, having a great time. And here's a guy sitting around the campfire saying, you know, I think I might go to seminary. And the beauty is it fit in perfect with that group because they were all part of the Newman Center. We knew each other. They knew who I was, and nobody said, oh, no, that won't work, which was encouraging for me. I found myself startled by my own statement, but when I went back home, I went out to the university and to the Newman Center Library. I was sitting there trying to find something. I had no idea about how you became a priest, where seminaries were, what, how long they were, that you would be in seminary. I tried to do some research. And I'm sitting there, and uh, the assistant pastor of the Newman Center comes through, and he says, Tom, what you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to look up seminaries. He kind of smiled and said, I'll tell you what, I'll have the vocation director be in touch with you, which he did. (laughs) God bless him. Now, the vocation director didn't live in our town. He, He lived probably about two hours away, but he made special trips down to visit with me and with the family. He talked to me about the process of seminaries, what they would be like and where they would be he invited me to go on a couple of discernment retreats, which I'd never done before. I'd been on a lot of retreats, but not discernment for vocations. And there I met some people that had gone to Catholic college. And they knew a lot more about seminaries and priesthood than I had any inkling about. One night we were sitting around talking and one of them said, oh, and that recruiter was out from the seminary in Denver. Wouldn't that be a great seminary to go to? So my eyes and my ears opened up I realized, okay, here's my chance. You see, after leaving western Nebraska and being in Iowa for 11 years, I wanted to get back out west where I liked the climate and the people. We had relatives that when we moved to Iowa, they moved to Littleton, Colorado. We used to come out here every year in the summer for vacation. I knew my way to their house blindfolded almost. But I thought, if I'm going to school for a few more years, why not go to a place where I'm going to enjoy myself? And that stuck in my mind and my heart well, eventually the vocation director came and said, congratulations, Tom, the archbishop has accepted you to be a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Dubuque, and he wants you to go and study at the seminary in Baltimore, which was a premier seminary in the United States at that time. That was a high honor. To which young, naive Tom, who's <laughs> slow on the uptake, you know, he has to see his phone number on the want to realize they're talking about him, I say to this fine priest, well, that's wonderful, but tell the bishop I, I really want to go to Denver. The poor vocation director goes back to talk to the bishop. A couple of weeks later, he comes back and tells me, well, the bishop understands your desire, but he really does want you to go to Baltimore. And I said, well, that's great, but tell him I really do want to go to Denver. <laughs> I know, can you figure? This guy is so wet behind the ears, he's drowning. Three times I made him go to the bishop and say, he really wants to go to Denver. The third time he came back and he said, well, Tom, he he says either you need to go to Baltimore or you need to find another diocese to sponsor you, which is his way of very politely, very diplomatically saying, get with the program, kid. You're going to Baltimore. I'm too naive to read between the lines. I said, okay, I'll find another diocese. (laughs) You see, when you go to seminary, you have to be sponsored by a diocese or a religious order. You can't just go to study. So, where does that leave me? I don't know any other diocese. About that time, God works in wonderful ways. About that time, my family was visiting with somebody that was passing through town They used to live in the same town in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, we did. They had about the same number of kids, about the same ages. So they're sitting and talking and catching up who's doing what and everything. They mentioned to this friend, yeah, and I guess Tom needs to find a diocese if he wants to go to seminary out in Denver. That friend and their family at the time lived in Arvada. And he said, well, I'll talk to my priest when I get home and see what I can help to make it happen. Mm -hmm. He came back, talked to his priest— if we have time, I'll give you more story about that later, talked to his priest who called the vocation director in Denver, who called me and said, well, I guess if you want, come on out and we'll talk. So as soon as I had a break from school, I came out. I could drive right to my aunt's house. I I was from a small town there in Iowa, but I knew my way to my aunt's house because we'd been there so many times. Drove there, went to bed that night, got up the next morning, called the priest said, well, I'm out here now. If you want to get together, we can. He said, okay, well, I'm working out of the parish today. If you can come meet me here, that'll be great. And I said, tell me where it is, and I'll try to find you. I, I had maps. That's all we had back then. <laughs> he said, well, actually, I'm, I'm working out of the parish that I'm in residence in. It's a parish named St. Mary's in Littleton. I said, say no more. That was about a block away from where my relative's house was. So I walked over to the parish met with the vocation director, and in a matter of a few weeks, I'd been accepted by the Archdiocese of Denver to come to Denver to study for them. So that's how I ended up going to seminary. My vocation story really evolved in the seminary as I was able to really discern, was this just a wild idea or was this the Lord speaking to me? And as I look back on it now, not only the seminary, but so many other things, I'm very, very conscious. The Lord was tugging me along in my naivete and everything calling me to the priesthood out here and it's been a tremendous gift
0: that's such a great story because it makes me think I, I don't know you to be a very stubborn or persistent person at all you're very you're very peaceful uh, you go with the flow a little bit and in that how do story
2: have you worked with him?
0: <laughs> I just have a different side don't forget I go on pilgrimage with him <laughs> Uh, so you you would say different though. You would yeah. say he's very hey, stubborn John, I and want persistent.
1: You to do this. Okay, senior.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that yes, doesn't but that doesn't make him stubborn or no. persistent. I'm that stu- just, just makes agreeing. him a leader that is, you know.
2: Keep in mind you're talking to Eeyore.
0: <laughs> but you said you're Eeyore too, so it's <laughs> surprising to me. Uh, but you know, um I, I I think about one conversation that John and I were having is Obviously, pastors are spiritual fathers, you know, for their community. I think you've been such a wonderful spiritual father for this community, not only for the people that are in the community, uh, the staff members, because not all staff members belong to their parish that they work at, but then also all the seminarians that we've had that have come through here. And, you know, we have, you know, one of ours, you know, Deacon CJ Mast, and he is, you know, being ordained a priest. And um, how do you feel about your role as a spiritual father?
2: I think that the the beauty of our faith to me is found in the scriptures. And if you look at the scriptures, it's all about relationships. Your relationship with God, to be sure, but how that's manifest in the relationship with the people around you. If you are not able to be in good, solid, life-giving, loving relationships... You're in the wrong boat. So my, my experience in parish ministry, my experience at the diocesan level, I've worked a lot with seminarians over the years. I was vocation director for a while. And uh, I, I find my working with the men who are thinking about, you know, is this what the Lord's calling me to? To be a very beautiful opportunity to share those experiences, to share your love of the people and your desire to, to be with them in the name of the Lord not for your own designs, not for your own purposes, but in the name of the Lord.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, What have been your fondest memories at St. Thomas More the past six years?
2: One of the things I love about St. Thomas More is it provides so many opportunities. And there is a, a grace here and a creative Holy Spirit here that I think is is just a blessing not only to the parish and its people, but to the diocese and to the wider church. And it's fun to be in that mix.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of disappointed because you didn't say that your fondest memory is going on pilgrimage with me. So um, that's really upsetting.
2: (laughs) Well, the fact of the matter is, Joe, I've been going on pilgrimages since the 80s. And I keep doing it because it is such a wonderful experience. I've enjoyed going with you. I have another friend who was a priest that we used to go on a lot of them together. Mm-hmm. The first pilgrimages I went on were with other priests, and boy, that's an experience. <laughs> um, the first one was to the Holy Land, and that's one of the reasons why I said to John that that to me is the place to go if you can. The second one, let me tell you a quick story, it was with a bunch of priests, we were doing one of those, let's knock out all the countries in Europe in a week. So we were on the road every day. But we had about, I want to say, 20-some priests, young and old. We had even some retired priests. One day we were in Munich, Germany. Beautiful, beautiful city. You know, that's named after the monks (laughs) and their beer. It's a wonderful town. But outside of Munich, there's a very sobering site. It's where the concentration camp Dachau is located. It wasn't on our itinerary, but we convinced that tour company and the the bus driver and the guide to let us go there. Partly for the reason, it was close, and it was something we wanted to go and experience. And when we were there, one of the men in our group, who was a retired priest, he'd been in Wisconsin a lot of his priesthood, but uh, he had an earlier start than that. But when we were there, he pointed out the foundations of the barracks where the prisoners were, pointed to one, and he said, that's where I spent the first six years of my priesthood. He was a six-month-old priest in Poland when the Nazis came in in 39. He spent six years at Dachau when they rounded up so many of the priests to to take that voice away from the people, to, to be able to silence that call and that moral presence. The day that we were there, and he was sharing that with us, was his birthday. And he shared, I spent six birthdays here, That was his seventh birthday. After we left the camp, we went to a place where there was a chapel, and we celebrated Mass, as priests want to do. (laughs) And we let him be the celebrant, the main celebrant for all of us. In all the beauty I saw all over Europe, the wonderful experiences, that day and that experience stands out to this day in my heart, partly because of his homily at that Mass. And in his homily, he made a comment. In spite of all the evil and the terrible things that happened here, we can't overlook the goodness and the kindness that took place. Mm. And I thought, there's a Christian heart.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: To be able to see the grace of God even in the midst of of the darkness. So, you know, I've I've loved pilgrimage. I'll go on. Pilgrimage is probably to my dying years. (laughs) But... um, but oh, you were asking about Thomas More, and that stands out uniquely for, for what I mentioned to you.
0: Well, one thing I really like about traveling with you on, on pilgrimages is you um, have this way of stretching me, stretching me to experience new things, to look at things from a new perspective, and also stretching my waistline. Because when we, <laughs> when we went to Italy, into Rome, um, we have a mutual love for gelato.
2: Very much so. Yeah,
0: we love gelato. And I remember we love it so much that one day we just said, every time we see a gelato shop, we're going to stop and eat gelato. (laughs) We had three gelato (laughs) servings that day. I came home from that pilgrimage, John, with um, an additional 11 (laughs) pounds.
2: And that wasn't in our luggage.
0: No. (laughs) That was in the (laughs) waistline. Whenever uh, I travel with you, I always gain weight. It's because it's good food, good company. We've been through an earthquake, you know, in Italy together. I mean, this is this is the kind of man you want to travel with.
1: Well, what am I going? I'm going <laughs> soon, not
0: anytime soon, D- Doesn't that make you just want to get off of your chair and just go with him? <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Don't even ask my family first. <laughs> yeah, you should. Well, I think
2: they should come along. I think that would be fun. I'm. I've had some of the most fun traveling with pilgrimages that have younger folks on them. Right. I can remember one, that we were in Italy, and we had a a wonderful woman who, at the end of the the time of the pilgrimage, we were in uh, Rome the very last couple of days. Her legs had swollen up so bad, we had to take her to a doctor. And the doctor said, you need to stay off your legs. We got a wheelchair for her for the rest of the trip. The day we were to have our papal audience Our hotel was probably about a mile from St. Peter's Square. So we we left the lobby of the hotel. We weren't driving. We were walking over there. We had a young teenage boy that was with his mother on the trip. And he said, I'll push you. And so he pushed her all the way to St. Peter's Square. We were lucky to have good tickets. We were supposed to sit up toward the front so we could have a good view of the Pope. When we went up, the Swiss guards kept moving us up further in the, the seating area. But when it came time to go into the seats, the guard there said, no, no, to the wheelchair and to the young man, you can't go in there. They were just the, the seats that the people would sit on. The wheelchairs, he took him up and they were on the level where the Pope was. <laughs> so this woman, God bless her heart, and the young boy who was pushing nice. her were right up there, just almost eye to eye with the Pope. Off to the side, but at the same level, wow. which... One thing we said, next time we come, we'll all get wheelchairs. <laughs> but it was so great because at the end of the audience, as everybody is filing out, the Pope is still up there on his dais, and and the people that are up there around him, the dignitaries and everything, are coming over, and he's greeting them. And then they start to bring over all the people who are handicapped or in wheelchairs. And we watched those two from our group, the young boy with his ball cap on, wheeling the, the lady, And the other priest and I are saying, oh, please take off the cap. Please take off the cap. Please take off. (laughs) And he did. Just as they got up to the Pope, he took his cap off. But I tell you, if you have young folks on the pilgrimage, it gives it a whole new perspective in life that is wonderful. So, John, your family has to come.
0: And what a blessing that is. You know, he wasn't pushing her to get any reward or anything out of it. Yeah. But God blessed him with that amazing experience. Which is so incredible. You know, my family kind of says the same thing about wheelchairs and we have to go to Disney. Who's going to get in? Because <laughs> if you're in a wheelchair at Disney, you usually go straight up into the fast FastPass. Wheelchairs place. and
2: FastPasses are the blessing of Disney.
0: <laughs> so every time that we're about to go, the kids are like, who's getting in the wheelchair this time? <laughs> no, we don't do that. We don't lie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what would you say? You know, this... This period of time that we've had, you know, over the past, is this six weeks now or eight weeks? Eight weeks. Eight weeks.
2: It was two months ago that we first, on the 15th of March, had our first live stream mass.
0: Oh, that's right. Gosh, see how quickly we can forget.
1: Um. So, I, okay, I, I got to tell you this story. So, um, <clears throat> So it's Tuesday night, and... Manny and I are watching, kids are in bed at 9, so we're up watching late, and we're having a beer or a drink or something. And we're just like, oh, yeah, tomorrow's Friday. So basically, after we put the kids to bed on, I think it was Tuesday night, we're thinking, oh, tomorrow's Friday. So we're kind of (laughs) celebrating Tuesday night as if it was Friday night in the weekend because we've lost any sense of time or anything like that. So all of a sudden, by the time we're done watching a movie and doing everything else and watching, basically binge-watching. I don't know where it was. It's like eleven thirty at night. We're thinking we have like the rest of the week we got to get through. Like we actually have to be responsible for another three days.
0: That's why you were late to work on Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. Probably. (laughs) I wasn't keeping track. How Monsignor, what would you say? um, Since it's been eight weeks, um, do you feel that this is going to make us or encourage us to do things a little bit different? Or what about in your role as a pastor? Is that Is that changing?
2: It has changed in a lot of ways. Things are going to change. I don't know that we will ever have church the way we had it before. One of the things that I'm very conscious of is the fact that people have a whole new mentality now about even coming together in a sacred space. So I'm going to be very curious to see how long before people are at ease coming together, being around each other at Mass. You know, I've often get the question from school kids and others, what's your favorite Mass of the year? And I think they're thinking Christmas or Easter, and I probably surprise them when I say Thanksgiving. And they look at me and I said, Thanksgiving, it's never on a Sunday, it's not on a holy day, you don't have to be there, and yet the church is full of people that want to come and give thanks to God. And at our parish, the church is full in the sense of, we'll have up to 900 people filling the pews. I wonder if we'll have that this November. Right. So, things will be different. What's different for us priests? I think it's made us even more conscious of the fact that when we're live streaming, the homily that we're giving might be the only thing they really get that day that touches them with God's word. And we can't ignore the importance of that. The Word of God is life-giving. The Word of God is alive. The Bible is not just a bunch of words that were put down and, and sealed in acrylic and they don't have any meaning. The Word of God is alive. But sometimes you need somebody to help you to recognize that that live mm-hmm. presence of the Lord. So that is the, the main way that I think a lot of us are touching the people now. We still have our sacraments of confession, people are making appointments, and and we're getting a lot of folks coming in and, and using that sacrament, which is tremendous. We're still doing the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And with the anointing of the sick, we have rules and regulations. We have gone to the hospital, some of our priests have gone to the wards with COVID patients. You know, quite often a family will call and say their loved ones in the hospital, could we go and anoint them? It's interesting because quite often if we just call the hospital and say, can we come? They said, no, no, you can't come in. God bless, a lot of the hospitals have chaplains on staff. And when we call them and say, the family's asked, could you see if we can get in? They help to make arrangements and, and we are able to go in, give them that great sacrament, that important part of their life. So we have those sacraments. We are starting this weekend to invite back to bring the public back to some of the Masses in a very, very limited way. But it's going to be wonderful seeing those faces again in the pews. And that sacrament of the Eucharist is central to our whole spiritual life. So the sacraments are still there, but they're certainly not being used to the nature they were three months ago. And that's the saddest part for me. You asked earlier about the nature of this parish. I've long said there's two things, I think, that really... Give life to the parish. St. Thomas More has had perpetual adoration for over 25 years. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, people are coming and spending time with the Lord in prayer for themselves, to be sure, but also for the wider community and for the church, for people throughout the world. That brings grace that we don't even know how powerful it is. But it, I know, has been part of the reason why this parish is so alive and so so dynamic. The other thing that I, I experience here is a great use of the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist. So I think the use of all those makes us very, very blessed.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. So I, I just, I really, I, I wanna share with you too that I feel that you have been just an incredible blessing you know, to this community. And you have been a wonderful leader. You've been a blessing to all of the families, the different connections you've been able to form. And in so many ways that I couldn't even probably count all the ways that you've blessed my family. And, um, and you know all the things that you've been able to do to assist us in times of need when we need it. So I really want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for your, your leadership and your vocation and for what you've done.
2: You know, there's uh, a lot of great conversations you have, especially with seminarians. But even with laity, about the nature of priests, we're, we're an odd duck. <laughs> Most people don't know much about priests. What do you do? One of the questions that comes up is, you know, don't you miss having a family? And I can't speak for religious priests because they have a community and there's a whole different dynamic there. But for diocesan priests, yeah, families are important to us, but not just our own nuclear family. The families of the parish that we're called to be with, be present to, put our lives in touch with their lives, to to let their lives show us the presence of God. You know, I've learned an awful lot about God and his love for us through those that I've been with. So, yeah, without the families, our lives are, are kind of empty.
0: And, and I think that's a really good point because, you know, all of us as members of this body, of this parish in particular, um, need to realize to extend um, our homes also to the priests of our parish um, you very much as a priest want to be connected to all of our families and I think there's an intimidation that some families have about inviting a priest over oh my gosh what are they gonna say about my house you know <laughs> are my kids gonna behave <laughs> what are what are they gonna do I know you have invited you know monsignor over mandy made an amazing meal I hear yeah,
1: correct priest no, under broil, yeah. She made an amazing meal. Monsignor came over and blessed the house, and uh, actually, we did. We were doing the Marian consecration.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh. Um, and I know that we've invited Monsignor out to the movies, and um, we've gone to see. We saw Jumanji two together. That was so funny. That was a funny movie. Um, you know, we've gone out for a Christmas meal. Um, you know, we've done a lot of different things, and I think it's really important. And I think it also helps our kids to understand the human of priests, um, because it's so easy for us to look up and lift all of you up on a pedestal, you know, just with your, the role that you have within the church and these special gifts that you have from, from the Lord. And sometimes it can seem like you're unreachable. And, um, but when, when we invite you in and you come and you dwell within our family, I think that that's so helpful. And my kids, it's funny because I was just talking to Anna the other day, I said, Hey, Anna, you know, we should schedule you for, for confession. And, um, you know, where do you want to go? And and she says, please don't bring me to Monsignor Tom. I'm like, why? She goes, he knows me too well. (laughs) I'm like, "But that's okay. That makes it a better confession. She's like, I have to go to someone who doesn't know me. She's like, and we know too many priests. I don't know who else (laughs) where we're going to go. So now I have this path in my mind. How far do I have to drive? (laughs) But, um, but I think that's a beautiful Testament too, because, My kids feel that they know a lot of, you know, all these priests, I'm going to say baby priests, they might not like to be called that, but all the seminarians that have come through the doors and we've had them to our house. We've had pizza, we've had game night, you know, we've gone camping with them. We've, you know, they, they've just, they've become an extension of our family. And so my kids know at any time if they need to go somewhere or ask a question or have some special prayers and blessings, they have a lot of choices. You know, to choose from. I don't know. What about you, John? I mean, don't, don't you feel that same way for y- your family?
1: Um, what do you mean? Like going to confession?
0: Or? Well, like you have um, invited priests over, you know, and you've had your kids yeah. connect to them. I'll be,
1: I'll, I mean, I'll be honest. I think this is the first time uh, Father Frank was the first one we actually felt okay. we connected with the priest. Like he would invite us over. So of course, I stayed at his rectory for a couple of weeks when I was moving to Colorado. So, <laughs> um, so we had some good conversations. Um, and then, um, no, but I remember he invited us over, and he and Father Frank has a movie theater in his basement.
0: Does he really? Like, a,
1: literally, a movie, th- yeah. Do the
0: seats move?
1: No, not quite. It's but it's like two levels, so like a couch on one side, and you have a raised couch, and wow. literally, giant, I don't know what screen or something. It's, it's a wall that's a screen, it's a whole wall, and then literally, like, a million movies, like, all over the place. It's that's so cool. So he invited our whole family to come over for dinner, and we watched uh, I Can Only Imagine, which is I think one of his favorite movies at this point. And uh, it, was, it was great. So I think that's the whole thing is, is seeing the humanity of priests and the vulnerability. I think that's a hard thing when you're running a parish or any type of leadership is trying to find the balance of maintaining your authority, but yet also realizing, you know, we're all human, we all have our sense of, of our weaknesses as well. If I might,
2: most priests that I know love to go to the people's homes. And one of the things that I'm very conscious of is I think that's one of the best ways to even broach the subject of vocations with young folks. To see, well, it's not just somebody that dresses funny when we go to church on Sunday. It's somebody that actually can carry on a conversation, somebody that maybe knows the TV shows I'm watching, somebody that can talk to me and... Having a priest within your home, inviting him for a meal or, or, or you know, cookout or whatever, is a great opportunity. Let me share you with you a couple of quick stories. I've always said it's great to have a priest over for a dinner because that's probably one of the few times most families will take the opportunity when they're sitting around as a family and talk about faith. You talk about all sorts of other things when you're doing your family stuff. Well, we got a priest. What are we going to talk about? Well, let's talk about our faith. (laughs) And I I think that's a great opportunity. Um, But we priests talk about a lot of other things too. The other thing you mentioned about, you know, are are our kids going to behave? I remember as a young priest hearing a a wise older priest saying, whenever I go to a family's house and if the kids are all perfect and and sitting up straight and behaving and and not squabbling, I know they've been threatened to within an inch of their life (laughs) because that's not the way family life is. And so we expect to see you as you are and not to put on airs for us because we're not going to put them on for you. (laughs) One other story that I'll share, going back to actually when I was a deacon in a parish and a family that I got to know, and they said, would you like to come over for a meal? And I said, I would love to. At that point, I'd been in seminary for a few years. And quite often the families will say, well, is there anything you'd like to have? And I said to this family, you know what? I haven't had in a long time that I just love tuna casserole. Well, I can do that. (laughs) So I went over and we had a wonderful time and I, you know, spent time with them talking, laughing, carrying on. About a week later, they saw me at the parish and the mother said, you know, we can't have you over anymore. I said, why not? She said, the kids told us they hate tuna casserole. (laughs) So now I usually say whatever you want to eat. (laughs)
0: Well, thank you very much for carving out time in your day to be with us and to allow the community and all of our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Um, Also, maybe to encourage them to look at their priests, um, their vocation, um, as well as the ways that they can invite you in a little bit differently. So I really thank you for that, and um, I want to thank all of our listeners too. Um, you know, please continue to dialogue with us. You know, we we are on Facebook, and and John and I, whenever we have conversations about things, we will um, add some tags, some links, you know, to books, to other suggestions, so you can find all those there, as well as just the opportunity to interact and dialogue with you. We want to hear a little bit more about you and what's going on in your life. So thank you for listening to us. But Monsignor, if you can lead us in a closing prayer,
2: I'd be delighted. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, we ask you to be with us in in the course of this day. Fill our hearts with your spirit. Fill our minds with the awareness of your love and your care for us. May those who are, are searching what you wish of them in their lives be open to whatever answers you place before them. Help us to know, Lord, that we don't choose you. You have first and foremost chosen us. You have first loved us. And the love that we know... Is itself of your origin. We ask your blessing upon us and this day that we give to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: God bless everyone. Have a great day.